Welcome to the Fabricators Coach Podcast, where we believe that every fabricator deserves to have a business that not only makes the money, but also gives them time to enjoy it. In each episode, our goal is to share real information that you can take action on and use today, information that, if you will use it, can help you reduce the chaos in your business, help you make more money, and help you get your life back. Um. Just quick background on, on me so you have some idea of, of who's uh, talking into your ears today. Uh, I've run a countertop fabrication shop. I've helped uh, many fab shop owners become very successful, get their businesses simplified and help them make a lot more money uh, and also satisfy their customers better. I've worked in a lot of manufacturing venues over the years. So as a manufacturing manager and as a coach, I've worked literally in hundreds of companies Everything from one-person startups to even a little bit of work in some of the large uh, international-type corporations. Um, I've been a former business owner. I've uh, I've had uh, you know twelve or fifteen employees, so I know what it's like to make payroll, to be responsible for that, and also to satisfy customers. And that's why I like working in this industry, is most of these most countertop shops are are owned and run by the owners. Uh, and whenever we sit down and, and talk about things, it's really easy to get agreement on something and then to move forward with a good plan of action. So that's a lot of fun. It gives me a chance to have a big impact for folks who really help people out that you don't really get with large corporations. So uh, it's just uh, something I like to do. Um, I mentioned that I was going to ask some questions. My first question for you is, how much of a backlog do you have? And what I mean by backlog is work that's sold and you could install it but you haven't finished fabricating it or you haven't templated it yet. In other words, you just don't have enough capacity to get it through your plant. When I ask how much backlog, if you would just in the chat, just type in uh, how many uh, days or weeks of backlog that you've got. I'd like to just kind of get a feel for what, what some of you are dealing with. Got two and a half weeks, okay. Any more popping up? Got about a week here. All right, good. Okay. All right, well, super. If you've got a backlog like that, it's two weeks from somebody else. Uh, if you've got a few weeks of backlog, four to six weeks, fantastic. Um, the more backlog you've got, the more need you have for additional capacity. And of course, that's what we're here for is to talk about how to free up capacity that you're already paying for so you can shrink that backlog. One thing to keep in mind is as you start to implement some of the things we're talking about, those of you who may have only one or two weeks of backlog, you start freeing up capacity in your plant, you're going to start to see that backlog disappear. So as you start to see success from the things we're going to talk about today, you need to be looking at the sales side and start making plans now to increase the level of sales that you got, start pulling all the levers that you've got that you can go uh, generate some additional sales and sales opportunities because as you start shrinking your backlog, you don't want to run out. So that's one thing to keep in mind as you move forward. Um, but the whole point of what we're talking about here today is not about cost or efficiency. We're talking about capacity. If you think about it, you're paying for all the tools, the people, and the machines in your plant, and those things define the capacity of your business. And the question isn't so much, how much capacity do you have? You know, do you have one CNC? Do you have two CNCs? The big question we're going to talk about is how well you're utilizing that capacity. What are you getting out of that? So let me ask you another question. 
think about the capacity in your shop today. What percentage of that capacity do you think you're using today in your shop? If you guys would just post your answers real quick, just give me a number and a, and a percent. Give me an idea of what you think. And even if you don't answer, think about what you think that is for your, your shop. Nobody's willing to take a guess. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> Understand, I, you know when I ask these questions, sometimes I'm, I'm setting you up. All right, we've got one, 60%, good. Okay, well, what I'm gonna do is we walk through the next, oh, 80%, 60 on another one. Okay, super, good job. Appreciate that participation, appreciate the input there. Um, as we walk through things today, I'll be curious to see if you still think that when we're done. So we'll, we'll walk through that and see. Um, as you look at your business, you're in the countertop business, but you are in essence a manufacturer as well. And the, essence of the core of manufacturing is raw materials come in, a miracle occurs and finished goods ship out. And in your case, those finished goods ship out to as tops to be installed. You think about that miracle that occurs, that's what your customer's paying you for, is for that miracle. And that miracle essentially is made up of what we call value-added activities. It's those value-added activities that are your capacity to make money and to satisfy customers. So you're essentially in the business of adding value. And by that, what we mean is that value-added activity is a physical transformation of materials into a customer's product. And obviously it's something that's done correctly. If you, you cut something wrong, you make a mistake, you break a top, whatever, those those would not be value added okay but those that's a that's the pure definition of a value added activity and some good examples are sawing water jet cutting cnc routing polishing installation um those are the miracles that occur in manufacturing plants those are the miracles that occur in countertop fab shops those are the value added activities that you've got and the level at which you execute these determine your capacity of your business to make money. And that's what we're all about is, is satisfying customers and having a profitable business. Because if we don't have a profitable business, then we don't have jobs. So that's, that's important for all of us. So the flip side of that is everything else is non-value added. And non-value added activities consume capacity that the business is paying for. Here's some examples, ordering material, inspection, repairs, accounting, those are the types of things that a lot of them need to be done. You have to do accounting in a business, but it doesn't necessarily add value because this is from the perspective of customer. Customer decides what's valuable, what isn't. And while you have to run, you have to generate payroll to pay your folks, that's a large portion of why we show up every day for work, I think. Uh, it's still a non-value added activity from the customer's perspective. So the objective is ideally we would eliminate non-value added activities, but you can't get rid of all of them like accounting and payroll and ordering material, things like that. So the challenge is reducing them as much as you can. And we're not going to get on, we're not going to deal with issues outside the shop today because that's beyond the scope of this webinar. We're going to talk about what's in the shop right now. Let's get practical and look at a, at a specific example that'll help us understand how to apply this a little bit better. Um, let's take a typical bridge saw. These are uh, activities that you typically see with, you know, getting paperwork, whether it's on paper physically or whether it is uh, electronic, um, setting up your saw program, load, unload your table, cutting the stone, cleaning the table. Those are the types of things that you typically see with a bridge saw. And you may see a few other things, but I think everybody would agree this is pretty normal. The question I've got for the group is, which of these activities are value-added activities? We've said that sawing is a value-added process step in our plant, but is everything that happens here at the saw value-added? What do you think? If 
like to see some responses. Do you think they're all value added or not? All right, we got some, some good folks here. Y'all are on top of things. Obviously, the only value added part of the saw operation is when the blade is in the stone. So the challenge is if you need more capacity, then the challenge is to find ways to reduce all the time for all of those other activities. And think about how you might speed these up a little bit. And again, this is not about working faster, working harder, cracking the whip. It's not that type of approach. It's thinking about how we can do this differently, do it a little bit better, like uh, cleaning the table, for example. You know, typically when I see a, a table cleaned on a, on a bridge saw, there's somebody standing there with a, with a hose and a sprayer and they're hosing it off. It takes a minute, two minutes, three minutes, depending on uh, how much uh, stone dust you've got and how much mud's on the table. Can you think of a way that you might speed that up a little bit? Any thoughts? So one thought would be, could you hook up a manifold with multiple nozzles and one valve and just flood the table? Cut two or three minutes of wash down time to 30 seconds or a minute, okay? So that's something to be thinking about is how do we reduce this time? Because we find ways to reduce how we handle paperwork or the time to load or unload or cleaning the table. Those are things that free up time for the blade to spend more time in the stone. That's what we're about. So let me ask, if you look at a typical bridge saw, what percent of a typical day do you think the blade spends in the stone. Any any thoughts on that? 40%? So 40% of an eight-hour day would be about three and a half hours. Okay. Got a couple of those, 50%. All right. Somebody's got a saw jet. Okay. So same same thing applies whether you're doing a, a saw, a saw jet, or um, or a water jet, you know, 56%. Okay. Well, let's take a look here. I've got a, just a short clip here of a bridge saw, and this is just the cutting portion. This is about a minute clip. Let's just watch it. Okay, so that was about 50% of that time. Now this is a small piece. If you had a larger piece, the travel time wouldn't be as big a percent. You can argue about whether this is an old saw or a new saw, the operator's good, operator's not good. But keep in mind, that's 50% value added time, and that's just for the saw operation time. Think about the impact of loading, unloading, all the other stuff that we talked about that are pretty typical activities. And this applies to CNC or anything else that you've got. I can tell you from experience, having been in a lot of countertop shops, it's very common for most machines to see only about two to three hours a day where the blade is in the stone. Two's very common, it's probably the most common. Keep in mind, that's two hours a day that the saw is doing the job that it's been purchased for. You're paying for eight hours a day. You're getting two. So think about the impact on your capacity. So we start talking about those non-value added activities. This is where you start getting some really good, good opportunities here. So if you think about, all right, so how do we get 10% more capacity at the saw if we needed more saw capacity? Think about for an eight-hour day. If the blade is in the stone for two hours out of every day, how much improvement do you need to make to get 10% more? Well, two hours is 120 minutes. And so 10% more is just 12 minutes more a day of time for the blade to be in the stone. So it's not something that's insurmountable. It's not that tough to do. Uh, 
120 minutes, 10% is 12 minutes. So if you just reduce your non-value added activity, some of the other things we looked at by 12 minutes a day, then that will give you 10% more saw capacity. You know, if you worked really hard and got it up to 60 minutes a day, that'd give you 50% more capacity, right? So that, that's not hard to get a whole pretty good bit, pretty good hit here. So if you average three kitchens a day, that's four minutes a kitchen. If uh, average kitchen gets cut out of two slabs, you got to handle two slabs to make that kitchen, that's two minutes a slab. So when you start looking at it that way, something simple like putting together that manifold and flooding the table to wash it off quicker, not that tough to free up a few minutes per slab or even per kitchen. Does that make sense? So hopefully that's giving you some good ideas of, of the type of impact you can have just by looking at a few simple things. Now I realize too, this is a different way of looking at what you do than what you may be used to. And so in order to help you think through ways to attack these non-value added activities, I want to introduce you to a guy named Tim Woods. Now Tim's a guy that hopefully you will come to despise. Hope you will hate this guy because Tim's out there eating up your capacity. It's his fault. Blame him. <laughs> Don't blame somebody, pick him. Obviously, this is an acronym. Uh, the T is transportation, inventory, motion, waiting, overproduction, overprocessing, defects, and skills. And I'm not gonna now I'm gonna go through and, and define those for you real quick, but that's what that's what Tim Wood stands for is is um, the, that acronym. For those of you who've uh, gone to the website and, and downloaded the tools, you've seen this document, which is covers a lot of what we've already talked about. I'm going to take just a minute and walk through the different categories. And if you've got questions as we go through those, pop those up and we'll address them as we go. I'm not going to read all this to you. Um, but transportation is basically moving things from one place to another. If you want to get an idea how much transportation you've got in your plant, go look at the number of carts you've got, the number of forklifts, the number of cranes, jib cranes, overhead cranes. Those are all doing non-value-added work. Now, obviously, it's quicker to do it with those than without them, and I'm not suggesting you get rid of them. But every time you see that going on, move apart from one place to another, that's non-value-added. How can you shorten that time? So that's what that's transportation. Inventory, that's product that is not having value-added work done to it right now. If you think about parts come off of a saw or a water jet and you've, you've taken a slab and you've cut it, cut pieces for a job and you may have, say, four pieces on a cart, you roll that cart to the CNC. Typically, you'll take one piece off of that cart and you'll put that on the CNC and you'll be work, using the CNC machine on that one piece. Those other three pieces are sitting still. They're not having any value-added work done to them, so those are inventory. You can't get rid of all of that, but stop and look at the number of carts that you've got sitting on your shop floor. They're having nothing done to them. They're going nowhere. Some of them may have even been sitting there for days. One interesting thing about inventory, if lead time from template to install is important for you, if that's a, a big issue for you, the more inventory you have, the longer your lead time is. Your shorter inventory, your lower inventory will help you shorten that lead time. So that's something to think about. That's one reason inventory is important. Motion, out of the, the Tim Woods 
acronym, motion is movement by people. Uh, they have to pick things up. They have to move things around. But how do you reduce that time? How do you make it easy for them? Do they have to walk to get supplies, walk to get information, walk to ask questions? That's all motion waste. Then waiting. If you've got machines, people, product sitting still, that saw that's averaging two hours a day of blade and stone time is waiting for six hours a day, for example. That cart that's got four pieces on it that you just cut and you've got one piece sitting on the CNC, those other three are waiting. That operator who needs an answer to a question because the order is not clear, that operator is waiting and also probably causing the machine to wait as well. Overproduction means making more than you need right now and right here. That saw that cut four pieces and sent those to the CNC, the CNC only needs one piece because it can only work on one piece at a time. So that means we actually have too much more, too much, too many pieces were cut for the CNC. Now it's tough to get any better than that, but I'll bet if you look around your shop, you'll find carts with parts sitting there, again, that haven't moved for a while, so you've, you've produced more than you need. And that high production gives you high work in process levels, high inventory, and that's longer lead time. And obviously when stuff's sitting around, like the inventory sitting around, it doesn't get better with age. So that's, that causes some issues as well. Overprocessing, uh, classic example here, every shop has got a finished polisher who's in there and, and he's the guy who's gonna use four different grits of pads when two will do, classic overprocessing. Don't see a huge amount of that in this industry, but they do see some. Defects are uh, pretty self-explanatory. That's when you make something wrong, uh, you, you, you break something, you make an error. Defects are, uh, are pretty self-explanatory. And the S is not really a waste. Skills are not a waste. That's a reminder to use the skills that your employees have got. When you think about going in and, and trying to, to find Tim and run him off, put him on a diet so he doesn't get fat off of your capacity, you're gonna need a lot of ideas. And the folks who have already got a lot of those ideas are the folks doing these jobs day in and day out. Uh, these folks have already had to struggle with moving carts around, trying to get the hot job run through the plant, the one that's the, the highest priority that's getting, you know, got a customer screaming about it or something was made wrong, they have to remake it. And they know what it's like to have to deal with this. They probably thought of ways to improve some of these operations. Now, obviously, how you approach folks is really important. Your culture has a lot to do with this, and I'm not going to hammer this too hard, but I'm going to make a suggestion. You know, if, uh, if, I'm, your, if I'm the production manager, and I'm, uh, I'm going to pick on Linda because I see her name up there, if I walk up to Linda and say, Linda, you know, you're spending too much time cleaning off this saw table. You need to get this done quicker. You know, is that more productive, or is it more productive walking up and saying, Linda? You know, it looks like it's really tough and it takes a while to get this saw table cleaned off. You got any ideas how we can maybe shorten that time a little bit and approach it like it's me and you against the problem. We start telling folks or giving them the idea that they're not doing a good job or they're not working hard enough. That's not going to be productive. The other challenge is when you do this, they're going to come up with ideas you think are harebrained. It's worth giving them a shot. Because one of the challenges that I have when I go in and, and coach and work with, with companies is I already have a pretty good idea what good answers are and what good solutions are to the problems. But if, if I go in and try to implement my solution, then when I leave and run off into the sunset, that was Ed's solution. If I ask the right questions and coach folks through developing their own solutions, 
they may not get as far as quickly as I would do just because I'm from the outside, got a fresh perspective and got a different skill set. But if they get some improvement and we celebrate that and move forward, then when I ride off into the sunset, they own that solution. And nine times out of 10, they'll continue to make that solution better. And that's the improvements, that's the changes that'll stick. Those are the ones that you really want. So how you handle folks is important. Use the skills of your people to help make some of these changes. I know you folks are busy and you've got a lot going on in your shops. And so me suggesting that you do anything additional can be seen as a negative. And I get that for sure, because I've, I've run shops, run manufacturing plants and of all types and sizes and flavors. And, and, and I know it's a challenge. But what I've put together here is a quick spreadsheet. That's another one of those downloadables that's, that's on, that, uh, on that website. It's got the Tim Woods acronym with labels, descriptions, examples. But what it's got is a place for you to go in and, and track what issues you're seeing, write down your solution, and then look at the impact that you're having. I think that's important because your time really is valuable. And if you're not tracking the improvements that you're making, if you're not tracking the success that you're having, it gets really tough when you've spent 10 or 15 or 30 minutes today working on something and then tomorrow you're a little further behind the eight ball. It's tough to carve out that additional time unless you're giving yourself a little bit of feedback. A couple of different ways you can use this sheet. One is go look at a specific operation and look at all these categories. Another is to just pick one category, say transportation or maybe motion, and go find as many instances of that as you can as you walk through your shop. So a couple different ways you can use this. In the spreadsheet, second tab is I've got an example for the saw with a couple of specific uh, examples in here, some, some typical types of issues and solutions and impacts. You can see what those look like. And I'm a big believer in tracking. Again, your time's valuable. And as you start making these improvements, if you track them, you get a couple of things. One is you get good feedback that, hey, I'm spending some time here, a little extra time, but it's worth it. It's paying off. That's always good feedback to have. The other thing is, is you know how many times you've, you've walked out and, and worked on implementing changes, trying to improve processes, and you walk back out, you're, you're back in the same area sometime later, and wait a minute, I thought we changed that. Well, here you've got a record of what you changed. And again, if you're working with your folks and if you're helping them take ownership of these, these uh, changes, these improvements, then you'll see them stick better. But tracking things here helps you, helps you go back and audit that and gives you something to go back and check and make sure that, that things are actually happening. So that's um, it's a good thing to have, I think. And that's a download as well on the, um, on, on the website. We've been through Tim Woods. The idea is that these categories help you help kind of stimulate you to think about how can we reduce non-value-added activities. You know what value-added looks like. This will help you look at how to, how to get rid of some of the non-value-added. So we've talked about how to free up 10% of the capacity that you've already got. We've used the saw as an example. And I asked you the question when we started, what percent capacity do you think you're using today? How many of you have a different perspective on that after having been through the last 20, 25 minutes. And what do you think your capacity utilization is now after having walked through this? All right, so Scott went from about, looks like 80 down to 50 or 60. Uh, Jules went from 50 down to 20. 
Yeah, I think a pretty typical countertop fabrication shop, you, most folks are going to be in the 20 to 30% range when you look at your pure value added time. You'll never get to 100%. But if you can just do a few things, especially when you approach your bottlenecks and focus on the capacity, again, it's not about working harder, working faster. Those help. But people who tend to work hard and fast are already doing that. Those who don't tend to, you can crack the whip, they'll speed up temporarily, but they're not going to stick with that. So it's all about working smarter. I think this is a really good example of working smarter and not necessarily harder. Um, and I think you're all seeing from the responses I'm getting to my question, it looks like you're all seeing that there's a really good opportunity uh, to improve the capacity in your shops and that you've got probably a lot more upside than you expected. Keep in mind, my warning from the beginning is, is as you start to increase this capacity, and obviously as you apply this to your bottleneck, you're going to get um, a bigger impact than if you apply it to a non-bottleneck. But as you apply these, these techniques and you increase this capacity, you're going to take the backlog that you've got and you're going to consume it quicker. Now, at a 10% increase, it's not going to happen real fast. But then you start doing this multiple times and you hit multiple bottlenecks, you can start to see a difference. And just make sure you're watching that backlog and don't let it evaporate on you because that, that can be a challenge for you. Again, this is all about capacity. It's not about beating people up. Everything we want to do, we want to do it safely. Leverage the capabilities of your people. Get them involved because they really, in my experience, every manufacturing plant I've been in, the answers to most of the problems that business is having, generally 80, 90% of those answers are right there on the shop floor. They're already in your plant. So ask your folks, get them involved. Um, they're going to come up with some ideas you're going to think are crazy. Give them a shot. Um, try some of those ideas. You're going to get an idea you think sounds good and it's going to involve, you know, getting a welder in and, and buying steel and the guy that you usually use, this shop is backed up for months, so you can't get anything done right now. Um, let's go back to the cleaning the table of the saw off, the cleaning off the, that table, use that example. You know, rather than going out and buying a bunch of piping and nozzles and valves and stuff like that, maybe one way you try this out is you get a couple of guys, two or three guys to stand up there with, with hoses. And when it's time, and first off, you get a, just a quick stop uh, wristwatch time on how long it takes one guy to clean the table off, run another several cuts, and then get two or three guys standing up, run your hoses over there. And then on the count of three, everybody turns them on and washes off and see what kind of impact that has. And if you see a significant difference, then think about how to implement that effectively. So do some, some quick and dirty things to try something out. You'll just test the idea is what is the whole idea is, is test it out. And that'll give you an idea of, okay, is this worth getting a little further into or not? I like to say the difference between a good idea and a great idea is execution. And if you do some decent testing ahead of time, then your execution will be better. And that'll help a lot. Uh, track your results. I've hit that several times. I still think that's, that's very important. I think above all, as you get success, thank your people, make it fun, celebrate those successes. It's so easy as managers, and Lord knows I'm guilty of this, when there things not going well, you know, going out and dealing with that and, 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 and having those tough conversations. But man, when something's good happening, somebody has a good idea, somebody does something right, thank them. You know, pizza is not expensive. And when you, you get a, a change that you've implemented and it's working well, you know, give somebody a $100 gift card, a $50 gift card to Walmart or a grocery store or a restaurant. 
have have a, a pizza lunch, talk about some of the things that you've been doing, and thank the people and recognize the people who participated to help make it happen. That is so cheap and easy to do, and it buys you so much. It's worth more than gold when you can do that with. So I really hit that hard because I think it, it, it's, a, it's a missed opportunity for a lot of managers. You can do this kind of work we've talked about and, and do it all over your plant. Um, and, it, and it's not that hard to do. Hopefully you're seeing that. Obviously where you have the biggest impact is on your bottleneck. Hopefully you understand that trying to, to get just a 10% improvement is not that difficult to do. It doesn't take a lot to make that happen. If you need more capacity than 10%, there's a way to take this tool, work it, use it with some other tools, and free up 30% or more capacity, and in the process, reduce your template to, lead, to install lead time to a consistent and easily manageable five days. That's beyond the scope of this webinar, but if you're interested in something like that, there's my email address, my cell phone, contact me. We can talk about whether that's a good, uh, a good option for you or not. I want to thank you for attending. Uh, hopefully you've got some ideas that as soon as you get off this webinar, you can go right out in the shop right now and start looking at things a little differently and finding some ways to, has anybody got any questions? Anything I need to clarify? I may have gone through some things a little quicker, uh, but if you would hit the, uh, hit the chat there and, and, and send some questions and we'll be glad to take some time and talk about them. Uh, somebody brought up uh, scheduling. What is the question around scheduling? Can you tell me what aspect of scheduling you'd like to, you have a question about? To me, scheduling is probably the toughest job in, in a countertop shop. Uh, if, you're, if you're doing things the way folks typically do, and that's contractor calls up and says, man, I need to get on your schedule. Can you, can you give me an install date 30 days from now? You know, that's, that's a tough one. Uh, but if you combine some of these other tools I've kind of alluded to, Scheduling gets to be quite easy because you can make one phone call, schedule template, and schedule install with the same phone call, and, and you're done. That makes it a lot easier. All right, so the question was, you put too much in for your capacity. It sounds like your shop is maybe overloaded. You've got more, you put more work into your shop than what your shop can do. Okay, yeah, we got a yes on that. Um, we talked about inventory. And we talked about products sitting around waiting. That means that you have put in more than your shop can do. The short answer is don't put in any more than your bottleneck can process. Now doing that without some systems, quite frankly, can be a bit of a challenge, but there are some tools and techniques. If you want to talk about those, I'll be glad to talk with you offline, but it involves making some, some strategic decisions and implementing some other things to work with this value-added, non-value-added approach. That'll keep you from putting in more than you can produce, and it'll also help you shorten your lead time. And when that happens, the level of chaos in your shop definitely drops a lot. We've done that a lot. That's doable, but it's, it's something that's tough to discuss in the abstract. We really need to kind of talk about your shop to do that. So if you're interested, uh, shoot me an email, and we'll set up a time to talk, and I'll be glad to, to talk you through that. If you think of any questions after we get off, after we finish up with the webinar, you've got my email, feel free to email me. I'll be glad to talk with you. Uh, I want to set up a phone call. We can chat about any questions that you've got. I'd be happy to do any of that. Again, thank you for uh, spending some time on your Friday with us, and I hope this is worthwhile for you. Hopefully, you will leave here and walk out on your shop floor and go see if you can find Mr. Woods and whoop up on that fella. Folks, hope you all have a great weekend, and thanks again.